Hey everyone, it's your host of See Jurassic Right, Stephen Ray Morris here, just dropping in to say, I hope you've been enjoying all the new episodes in 2023 and 2024 so far. There are new interviews with filmmakers, musicians, scientists, the screenwriter of Land Before Time, audio essays about the rich history of the Jurassic Park and Jurassic World franchise, and all the news about the upcoming animated show Jurassic World Chaos Theory and the as-of-yet untitled Jurassic World sequel coming next summer. I really need your help supporting the show right now, and you can do that by leaving a tip and or giving a monthly follow on Patreon, patreon.com slash There are $1 and $5 tiers, but more is coming. Sharing the show, giving five-star reviews in Apple Podcasts, and liking and commenting on social, at Stephen Ray Morris on Instagram and Twitter, goes a long way to help boosting the show's visibility again online in this new era. I'm an independent podcaster and your support is so important and means the world to me in keeping this podcast running. Link to the Patreon is in the show notes. Hold on to your butts. Thank you. And now on to the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Filled with on fright, see Jurassic right, bathe in ember light, see Jurassic right, see Jurassic right, 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 see Jurassic right, 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 see Jurassic right, 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 see Jurassic right, see Jurassic right, see Jurassic Park. I'm very excited today to introduce Steve Bailey. Let's see. So I have the deluxe junior novelization here with me of Camp Cretaceous and welcome to camp. And let's, let's just start with the basics. When did you see the original Jurassic Park and uh, what was that experience like? Well, this is super embarrassing. I did not see the original Jurassic Park until a couple of years ago um, because I have, I have two children. And uh, my son, who's now 12, is a stone-cold Jurassic Park, Jurassic World fan. And, um, and, he, and he just loves everything about it. So, and I just had never seen it, not because I didn't want to see it, but just because life happens and, you know, there's a lot to do. And, you know, work and kids and everything. So I finally got around to seeing it with him. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is like kind of the best movie ever. So, <laughs> I mean, look, life finds a way, so... It, you know, it, it does. I'm writing that down. I'm going to use it. <laughs> um, what Did you end up watching Jurassic World with Jurassic Park? Did you kind of end up seeing them all together in that way? I, I think 
if memory serves, I ended up seeing Jurassic World first. Interesting. I saw that and saw that in the theater, which I guess might have played to the advantage of Jurassic World, too, because that was sort of my introduction to it. But um, and and sort of prepped you for writing for these two uh, books. Oh, absolutely. Because I mean, because after Jurassic World, it was then, you know, move on to Jurassic Park and then move on to the other movies as well. You know, which was great because each one sort of has its own different thing going on. You know, they're each kind of very different movies, despite the fact they all have dinosaurs in them. (laughs) So that was really cool. Yeah, no, we really, really enjoyed it. And it was like one of those, like, kick your head in the moment, in the head moments where you're just sort of like, you know, I probably, probably could have seen this earlier and really had all that much more time to enjoy it. (laughs) As far as like when you're watching, did you, what were kind of the big things that stuck out to you as, as sort of, again, it's that thing of like, when I finally watched like 2001, a space odyssey or the shining and being like, Oh, here are these references people have been making in everyday life. And now I'm finally kind of seeing, seeing how they fit into what they're in their original context. You know, there's so many things. I mean, I'll leave out the obvious. The dinosaurs were really cool. (laughs) It's like that was kind of like the the main thing. But other than that, it's always like, you know, Sam Neill is always cool and everything he does. Laura Dern was really, really awesome in it. Um, And, you know, and kind of having a a better frame of reference for Jeff Goldblum, who is always Jeff Goldblum in everything he does. But he's always like a particular flavor of Jeff Goldblum. (laughs) So it was interesting to see that flavor of Jeff Goldblum. Oh, no, that's great. And so this is kind of a question I ask a lot, especially I'll ask like a lot of um, if I'm like chatting with a paleontologist or something that it's that sort of thing of like what came first, like the the chicken or the egg. Were you a fan of Jurassic Park before you like dinosaurs or did Jurassic Park help you get into dinosaurs? But were you a dinosaur kid at all? Uh, growing up. Yeah, I was a dinosaur kid. And because I was equally fascinated and horrified by them, my parents took us to a dinosaur exhibit when we were living in Rhode Island. So I must have been like around five or six. And I was really, really fascinated by that because, you know, just just seeing the fossils and skeletons was really, really cool. Um, But then my brother got a dinosaur pinball machine for his birthday. Oh, cool. And except it was cool with the exception that they used uh, miniatures with like a miniature set. And I don't know who decided along the way that like, anytime you're going to depict dinosaurs in a certain, you know, era of making toy products that they had to be cast in this like deep red hellish landscape, but it just made all the dinosaurs look really, really frightening. Oh, wow. And so I was super afraid to look at the pinball machine like at night I would cover it because, you know, <laughs> heaven, heaven forbid I wake up and accidentally see the dinosaurs. And of course, I mean, I'd have to be standing on top of the thing to see them, but you know, I was being extra careful. So I, I've always been interested in dinosaurs and also I think in a healthy way, appropriately afraid of them. I like that a lot. I mean, I think that there is something to that idea of like, I feel like there is something to that idea of like sort of fear, but also wonder and, I wonder if it's it's that thing where maybe it's like the first time kids sort of I know Michael Crichton has talked to like that idea of like dinosaurs are like your parents. You sort of are, you know, you love them, but you're also sort of slightly afraid of them. And I wonder if for kids, dinosaurs are just another avenue of like understanding complexities. I don't know, something like that. Yeah, complexities I, I, of life. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think there's definitely something to that. And I, and I think kind of wrapped up in all that too is 
you know, I mean, it was they covered it very well in, uh, you know, in the movie Aliens. But the idea that like monsters aren't real from the time that you're a little kid and you're, you know, your parents will always comfort you and console you and tell you your monsters are not real. You're going to be okay. But dinosaurs were something you could look at and say, like, those look an awful lot like monsters. And apparently you're telling me they were real. So, you know, that's actually re- that's a really great point. I never thought of it like that. But also that land before or the um, I just was spoiled it there. But that just the that pinball machine almost reminds me of Land Before Time. Speaking of other dinosaur properties, whereas like if, I don't know if you remember that movie or you watched. Oh it yeah, sure. Kids, but like that was like Jurassic Park seems nice because it's you know even in like Camp Cretaceous it's this beautiful forest and jungle. Whereas like Land Before Time is sort of a hellish lands like nightmare landscape you know, where these, the, the cute little dinosaurs have to, you know, wander through in order to get back to the great Valley. Oh yeah. No, I mean, it's an interesting point because it like in land before time. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're sitting there looking at those little dinosaurs, like, oh my God, like they have no chance. Like they're in the worst possible environment that a little dinosaur could be put into. And, you know, then you look at something like Jurassic park where, I mean, you know, Richard Attenborough has basically made sure that like, this is as close to idyllic as you can possibly get. Yeah. You know? Oh, totally. I mean, speaking of idyllic, uh, you know, after watching Camp Cretaceous, I'm like, like, because I never went to summer camp. So to me, not only, you know, Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous being the first Jurassic animated show that I've wanted since I was a kid. um, But, you know, also this like idyllic summer camp setting, um, you know, also on top of that. And I, you know, I could see myself being like one of these kids just feeling like, oh my gosh, like this is like, there's nothing better than this. Obviously, Darius appreciates it probably a little bit more than everyone else. But of those kids, who did you relate to the most? Oh, Ben, Ben. <laughs> yeah, with, without a heartbeat and and not, not, you know, I don't want to do any spoilers or anything for people who haven't watched the show, of course. but Ben up to a certain point. I would say early Ben in the beginning of the series. I can totally relate to that. Well, it feels very timely with the hand sanitizer thing. Oh, com- oh, completely. <laughs> like who knew? Who knew? I know. And it feels like these things, you know, work on animated shows and, and everything associated with it. seems like it starts very early, or at least that's my conception of it. So it's like, uh, you know, this, it just was ended up being very prescient. No, definitely. I mean, and I can completely relate too because if if you put me down in that environment with those kids, I would absolutely not be one of the cool kids. I would absolutely <laughs> be like terrified and wondering what wanted to eat me, how quickly it might eat me, and if I would taste good, and then hoping that I would not taste good. Yeah, I guess that's a good. Yeah, it's like maybe if I don't taste good, then they, you know, they can smell it and they're just like, nah, it's not worth it. Yeah. Nothing in my reading indicates that dinosaurs had like a really discerning palate, but I'm hoping that, you know, <laughs> there was, you know, we've missed something. It's been a few years. So maybe they did. Yeah, It didn't get picked up in the fossil record, but yeah, maybe. Yeah. How did you get your start as a writer? You know, I always wanted to be a writer since, since I was in early high school. I just, it, just one of those things where I, I, I think it was, you know, I ended up writing something for the school paper and um, got a reaction from people who would usually not give me the time of day. And that was kind of an eye opener for me where I was sort of like, oh, you can, you know, it's a way of communicating to people when, you know, I'm, I was a little more on the shy side. So it was a, a really great way for me to put my thoughts out there. 
And then I think it was the summer between my last year of high school, my first year of college, when I read uh, Kurt Vonnegut's Cat's Cradle for the first time. Yes, I love that book. Yeah, me too. And it was just, it was like, oh, you know, you can be funny. You can make serious points. A chapter doesn't have to be a hundred pages. It can be two. It was just a really, really great, you know, eye-opening experience reading that book and just seeing the, you know, the economy of word and how how well he constructed his jokes just uh, it was a huge influence and so from there i've just kind of always known i wanted to write and my career has sort of gone that way you know yeah no totally i mean it being inspired seeing somebody do something that you didn't think was possible as far as you know creatively i think is such a great motivator oh yeah i mean well i mean and you know for that matter it's you remember the, the, even, you know, seeing Jurassic Park as an adult for the first time, you know, you're still basically, you know, five years old again when you watch that movie because it, you, you're still left wondering how did they do it? Because oh. it, it it's still like, you know, and I think, you know, Kurt Vonnegut would have appreciated that too, because in a sense, it is like this enormous practical joke you're pulling on the audience. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're basically convincing them that dinosaurs are alive and it works. Oh, I love that. I love that a lot. As far as these two books go, Welcome to Camp and then um, the junior novelization, how did you go about translating the show? Do you do you start with like, did you get the script for the show or did you watch it first? What was that? What was that whole process like? And or in, and also, how did you get involved? Right. Um, well, I got involved because uh, editor uh uh, Dennis Sheely, really, really great guy, had uh, basically gotten in touch with me and asked me if I'd be interested in writing the the books. And I said, sure, because, you know, I, I had really at that point, um, you know, we had marathoned all the Jurassic Park movies multiple times at that point. And uh, I was like, yes, I would love to do that. It sounds like a lot of fun. Um, you know, and at that point, I didn't know anything about the series because it was obviously not public knowledge and, you know, you need to sign non-disclosure agreements to make sure that you don't blab and everything. So, but once I had done that, um, I was given the scripts and thought it was really fun. Like it was just a really, really great way of sort of extending that story. And I always think it's interesting when you can take something that you know pretty well, you know, like, like the world of, you know, Jurassic Park, which you would know from watching the movies. I always think it's really interesting when you can take that and show it from a different angle, you know, show it from a different character's point of view, um, to be able to show events from movies, but show them, um, again, from like a totally different story viewpoint, really, really interesting. So I thought the scripts did a really great job of, taking what was really kind of special and cool about the Jurassic world movies and putting it into a kind of more serialized form of storytelling. Yeah. Oh, totally. And it was, I mean, it's, and I feel like they did a good job at, at, um, in sort of, it wasn't like a thing where it was like this over the top, like the characters peeking around the corner and then seeing Claire and Owen doing something and then being like, Oh, look, there's those people over there. Like, I felt like the uh, the show and the novelization like do such a great job at just being like, here is this world that they're living in, and and here's how it crosses paths, but oh, to the point where it is feels thematically relevant to the characters and what the kids are going through. Yeah, I know that's a really good point. I, I what I really thought about that was how you know if you've watched the movies, you know there's definitely like touch points in Camp Cretaceous 
that, you know, you'd be watching the show and say, oh, I know where, you know, that's when this happens or, you know, this is, you know, who, you know, they're referencing there, but they're doing it like, you know, you said it's, it's kind of done in such a tangential way that you don't ever really, um, it's not hitting you over the head with the references at all, you know, and and it's not necessary to your enjoyment of the Camp Cretaceous show. No, not at all. Enjoy that show for everything it is. And, you know, if you've seen the movies, that's, you know, a cherry on top of it. Oh, totally. I think it's, it's done very tastefully, I feel like. And, and, it, and it's done in a way where, again, I really like these kids and I feel like they are, it, it just, it just made me think when you're telling me about how you saw the movies, like, like, I wonder, did that help as far as like translating the story into I mean, you know, the welcome to kid, uh, the welcome to camp, welcome to kids, uh, the welcome to camp <laughs> is like sort of a comic book style format. Did seeing it through sort of your kid's eyes, did that help sort of it in, in where to focus on and stuff like that? Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely helped. I mean, it's, it's almost like two brains you're doing when you're doing those two books. One was the, the book you were just talking about is the reader um, for, and it's for a younger audience than the junior novel which is, you know, really adapting and telling the storyline from the first season of the show. So, you know, you're, it's like left brain, right brain in a way, you know, for the, for the reader, you're, you're working with a much younger audience. So it's really trying to boil down, like, what are the important points that you want to get across? What's the primary message? Um, you have a lot fewer words to work with, you know, in simpler language, because, you know, you're, you're talking about kids who have, really, you know, they, they haven't been on the earth very long and they've, you know, just learned how to read, which is a really monumentally difficult thing to do. No, my, uh, my girlfriend's three-year-old, um, was really enjoying welcome to camp and she was actually holding it up and kind of following along because camp Cretaceous was, we just were playing it as well too. So they, she was kind of like following along with it and being like, here, we're in this part of the show. Oh, how cool. Yeah. It was really um, it was really, it was really cool to see her sort of make those connections and she could, it was just like, well, yeah, here's, this is this. And, you know, so I thought that was a fun observation. Yeah. That's an amazing thing too. I mean, I think, I think, you know, to, to, to actually observe, uh, you know, a child, you know, with the book, um, but interacting with the show that way, I think that's really fascinating how, you know, thinking about all the, you know, little leaps that have to happen to get them, you know, to go from like, here's something I've seen on a page that I'm looking at and now here's something on a screen and I can, I can get that. It's the same thing. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Plus you love the stickers. So, <laughs> Oh, well that's, <laughs> but, you know, but, who doesn't. Yeah. Right. Who doesn't love a good sticker? I don't, I you know that's, I'm writing that down too, because I think who doesn't love a good sticker should be, <laughs> that's a good line. Thank you. Uh, so I talked to Tess Sharp. She did the evolution of Claire, which was like a really rad. I don't know if you've read it, but it's a really, again, it's like expanding the world. It's, it's like, you know, you get to play in this universe and she talked about how universal was like a good resource. Cause it's, I can imagine like, like anybody who's joining a big, uh, you know, universe. It's like, to me, it would seem intimidating because it's like, there's already this pre-established things. One thing I really loved and I pointed out to a lot of people just on social and things like that is that in the show, you know, you see that Darius, you know, learns how to overcome this challenge by reading a book, but in the junior novelization, you actually see that he's reading, um, Sattler and, 
uh, Grant and Malcolm's books. So it's for stuff like that. Did you have Universal sort of there to sort of give you, I don't know, something to jump off of as far as like what's going on in the world? Yeah. Well, I mean, again, I think this kind of goes down to the difference between working on the reader versus working on the junior novel. You know, um, Tess, I haven't read Tess's book. I really need to because it sounds really, really cool. Um, you know, she was doing something kind of very different from what I did, you know, in that she was coming up with an original story set in that universe. So sort of based on those rules, but very much doing her own thing. Um, whereas, you know, what I was doing was more like it's really adapting the storyline and kind of taking um, the intent of the, you know, series writers and making sure that I translate that sort of correctly into a junior novel, you know, for that audience. So. Um, you know, I know, for example, like, you know, our, my editors, you know, like Dennis, like worked very, very closely with Universal um, in making sure that all that was sort of correct, that we were, you know, all the guideposts, you know, we adhered to and that we were staying within the world of the series as it was established. Um, what was amazing about the scripts that the writers for the show have done is that they are packed with detail and they're packed with detail where it's full of things that like may not ever make it into um, what you see on the screen. So that makes it really great from you know, me as like the junior novel writer, my perspective, because it gives me a lot to hang on to and to put in that can basically be like little Easter eggs, basically coming directly from the show writers. But maybe it's something that we just didn't get to see in the series or you saw it in the series, but it went by, you know, that quickly because you know it's a moving image and you know 24 times it's, yeah, yeah. that frame has to change yeah so you might miss it so um really my job for the junior novel was to you know really find a way to creatively adapt what the writers had done but really try to be as true to that as possible mm -hmm. i don't know if that answers your question or if that no. sounds like a lot of words i just put together no no it totally does i think it's to me, junior novelizations always feel they've always felt like an essential part of the puzzle in a way to me growing up because I grew up reading all the Jurassic Park junior novelizations. The there's what like and those Easter eggs and those things just sort of, again, create like a fuller picture. I know a lot of people recently brought up that in the Lost World junior novelization there's this element that maybe the last part of the movie is a dream and like it's spun off all these, like, cause when Kelly, the, the little girl in that movie or in, and like in the junior, junior novelization, she talks about like thinking of this thing, like a reverie. And so like, you're, but like, I don't know, it's just that kind of stuff where again, it makes the world feel, feel so big and, and all the sort of parts of it feel essential because you're, you're getting to explore things and concepts and, I mean, again, just the idea that, you know, getting to read the book titles for all these, you know, for the original iconic trios, uh, you know, book titles is so cool. And really like reading that in because, again, the moment goes so, by so fast in the show. But in the book, it's like, oh, wait, this is the first time we've heard anything of what these characters have been up to since, you know, Jurassic Park 3. So for like we haven't heard from Grant and Sattler, we obviously saw Malcolm in um 2018's Fallen Kingdom, but right, right. to to see that, oh, Grant and Sattler are publishing books and they're about dinosaurs and stuff and fossils in, in 
2020 like is so cool yeah no i mean i mean that was something i immediately sort of glommed onto when i was writing it was like oh that's super cool that has to go in because you know so much of this too is 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 making choices because you're dealing with you know however many episodes comprise a season and you need to take those events and put them in hopefully in an interesting way into a much smaller book and by definition, you have to leave some things out. So it's this delicate balance of, you know, what's most important to get the story across? What are events that can be left out that don't jeopardize the storytelling, you know, and it also gives something to the, the reader who goes on to watch the show and can see something, you know, have a different experience than they had from reading the book. And then also, what are the really, really cool things that just, you know, as a fan, strike you as really neat that you want to make sure are in the book. And yeah, I mean, Universal was great about that too. I mean, I think, you know, they certainly know that world, you know, and, you know, they're able to look at something that I did and then based on that say, yes, you know, this is good. More of that is okay. Maybe pull back a little bit here. So, you know, interesting. yeah. It's just funny. I just had a thought of like, as a kid all the time, this stuff used to just come out either like right when the movie came out or, you know, the, the show came out or, you know, before. And it's just, it's just funny to think about like, you know, reading this stuff for like, as a kid, it didn't think of it. I didn't think of it as spoilers, but you know, cause it's, it feels different. You know, you're, you know, when you're reading this, it feels different than the show, but obviously, but complimentary, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, no, completely. I mean, it, as a kid, like none of that ever even remotely occurred to me. Like, I mean, I was one of those kids who got the, you know, the Marvel super special for empire strikes back and I got it before the movie came out. So I certainly knew what was going to happen. Did that ruin my enjoyment of that movie? Not remotely, but there was also no internet then. So, (laughs) you know, very different, but I mean, I remember getting the, going back to what we talked about a little while ago, I got the junior novel for escape from New York. When that Whoa, came out. they had a junior novel for a Well, no, I'm sorry. I said junior. <laughs> that, that would have been awesome, but no, they didn't. It was, it was a straight up regular novel. Um, oh, but, cool. um, but, you know, it, I was too young to see the movie. And, you know, where I lived at the time, you know, it's not like that movie was ever going to get to me anyway. So I, the bookstore ordered that for me. And it was, I loved that book. I devoured it. And when I finally was old enough to see the movie, I was fascinated to find out that the entire first scene was not in the movie, you know, oh, and wow. then f- finding out years later, like, oh, you know, it was shot. It was just not included in the movie. And if you get um, the DVD or the Blu-ray, you can actually see that scene, you know, you can totally see why it was cut because it slowed the pace of the film, but it still was really, really great to, you know, as a fan of something to have, you know, that additional information. And, and hopefully that's what we've been able to do with the Camp Cretaceous junior novel, which is, you know, things that you might, you know, like we said, might flip past your vision for just a second. You know, you get to linger on a little bit more here. It's interesting just doing this podcast and hearing from listeners, especially listeners who have kids in it. It is a thing where I, I'm, I'm really grateful for these types of tie in media. And I've always been such a huge fan of this sort of thing because there there's plenty of people who, you know, maybe their kids are too young to watch the movies, but you know, it's dinosaurs and kids like dinosaurs. And so you want to be able to, you know, have them experience that. And so uh, I think you're right that like these can be, and I've seen from people where it's like, Oh, well we're, you know, we're looking at the, 
I don't know why I said trading cards. There hasn't been trading cards for a while, but that that's my love is trading cards. But, um, you know, books and things like that, like, you know, from all across the franchise or the toys and then maybe dole out a scene or two here, you know, see if they're a little too scared for that. I mean, I was six when I saw dress work, so I just got thrown in the deep end. My parents were, uh, you know, we're just like, it's fine. But, uh, you know, I know for, for, for some more discerning parents, I feel like this, like having the junior novelization, having the welcome to camp, like that's a great, it's a great way to like dip your toe in. And if, you know, if they're not ready, then, you know, you can always, you know, pull back. I'm grateful for this type of stuff because if you want to get your kid into something or, or, you know, you see that they're interested, you don't have to, it's not just like the movie isn't just the end all be all, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I think that's a, 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 one of the really great things about um, these kind of programs and working on books like this, precisely your point. It's that, you know, you you know that like you know no matter what age you put on something and say this is for you know this is for teenagers kids are going to want to see it or and, and want to be a part of that experience yeah and you know and maybe the movie you know might be way too intense you know for a kid and if it is here's a safer way to experience it where you kind of know that like people who have you know i mean i've been writing children's books for a pretty long time i used to work for disney adventures magazine back when that was a thing oh my um, gosh i used to have that growing up oh did you oh awesome yeah, yeah. thanks for reading um <laughs> so you know we we worked you know it, it, everybody you know dennis Sheely, the editor and people at universal like everybody has so much experience in working on material specifically for kids that, you know, we're able to kind of like read everything, digest everything, and then make sure that like, you know, he, he this is okay for a kid. Um, it's it in without touching or diluting the essence of, you know, the storylines and characters from Jurassic world. It's just, here's a, a way to experience it. You know, the, where the, the danger level and everything excitement is all sort of very kid appropriate. You know, nobody, nobody's heads are being ripped off, <laughs> you know? No, it's all, it's all a level of, no, I, th I think camp Cretaceous. Oh, and the, I have to tell you the detail again, another detail I was telling folks about and like why they have to get the junior novelization is and my girlfriend was was talking about it and then when i read it and the i was like you like i was like oh my gosh this is so cool is when the indominus rex after eating eddie and has the birthday hat on the teeth i was like mm -hmm. that's like such a beautifully like twisted detail but i think is so um it just feels so like universally i don't know there's just something very like jurassic about that moment to me that, yes that yeah, was, it's, that it's, wasn't in the that wasn't in the show no it but it was the, uh, one of the things i loved when i saw that in the script was like it was just like that's just a little off kilter and so many great moments from those movies are just a little off kilter you know it's a it's a yeah. line delivered in a particular way it is um you know it's it's having to reach your hand into a bunch of dinosaur poo <laughs> in order to get something you need so i, to I save like your life yeah exactly so i like these little moments where it's you know it's a weird little detail that's just kind of a little off but it kind of it, it says a little something yeah i was sorry about that too because that seemed like a, pr a pretty fine way for eddie to depart yeah i mean it's his birthday <laughs> well you know that's it it's he he was in a way he was gonna stick around and be with us for a while
Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It also, I was also just thinking too, because I'm reading Binocula for another podcast I do. And, oh, how awesome. And I was struck by, for some reason, that book seemed a lot more like a lot more mature for the age that I read it. Cause I don't, I think I read it when I was probably like, I don't know, maybe like even younger than 10 or something, mm -hmm. but I think it's just the way that uh, Deborah and James Howe wrote it where it, in it, and I feel like the junior novelization is similar in a way. Cause I'm just, I've been reading them both kind of to, you know, together, but where, and I think that kids like where like, it almost seems like it's, it's written in a way that makes you feel mature when you're reading it. Like I, that's what, and I feel like that is the way Camp Cretaceous is. Like, I think, I think the, what, why people have been responding so well is because I don't feel like it treats you like you're dumb or like it doesn't yeah. talk down to kids. I should that's, say. I was just about to say that. Yeah. It doesn't talk down to you. I mean, I think the, the biggest mistake anybody who works on anything for children could ever make is kind of making this assumption that you have to dumb it down in some way you have to, you know, Oh, you're basically, you know, acting like the really uncool uncle and telling the story, you know, <laughs> to the kids. Like, it's not necessary. Kids are really, really, really smart. And, you know, you need to give them credit for being smart and what they can, you know, they can, they can handle a lot more than they think we can handle. They're a lot smarter than they think we are, than we think we are. Well, that probably always also true, but, um, <laughs> but no, it's, they, they, I, I find them fascinating. I, I really do. And the, and I, it's really an honor and a privilege to be able to write stuff for kids. Oh, I love that. Well, we're going to jump into spoiler territory for a quick second. Okay. Uh, I won't so get I in trouble. No, it's, it's on Netflix. <laughs> I can't get in trouble. What was your reaction to learning that they would be, uh, that the kids at the end of season one of Camp Cretaceous, that they would be stranded on the island? I was not happy. I was <laughs> not happy for those kids. They've been through a lot. They deserve to go home. <laughs> but, but I also understand that there was unfinished business and stuff needs to happen. But I, I felt for them. I really did. I just, I wanted to see everybody get their happy ending, but I'm a big softy. I mean, well, I thought it was very, like my first time watching the season, it, it almost felt like Darius was like, he's so optimistic that things are going to be okay. But then I, but then I realized, and then, you know, after taking my time and reading the junior novelization that it's like, well, of course the, he's going to be optimistic that things were okay. They've survived, like they survived so far, you know, they've, they've accomplished a lot and they managed to get through a lot by the time they get to the end of season one. So it totally makes sense to have that attitude. Okay. Yeah, completely. I mean, Mike, you think about like what they've endured in the course of those episodes and the fact that they're still standing there i mean 
not completely unscathed, but you know what? I'm going to say unscathed because they're on an island. They're trapped on an island with dinosaurs. And if you're trapped on an island with dinosaurs and you're still alive at the end of everything, then I'm going to call that unscathed. So, <laughs> yeah, I think you can. I think you can make that call. I, I'm, I'm going to make that call as well. Yeah, and they survived a lot better than I would have. That's the oh, other certainly. important point. They, I know, you know. Yeah, I think I would. I don't. I think if I had, if if stuff started to go down, and you start to see, you know, pteranodons flying overhead, and I feel like I would go hide in like the food court or like i would hide some like i would probably be like the kids in the first jurassic park like go in the kitchen you know oh yeah yeah i mean that's i am with you i would have i would have been there in that kitchen as well um it, it, it's one of two things i either would have done that or i would have just been like you know what i'm just gonna walk out in the middle of the street <laughs> and whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen but at least then i won't have to worry about it yeah that's true i mean i guess i probably would have gone to the because i forget the jurassic world i mean in jurassic world they have a margaritaville so maybe i'd hop into the back of the kitchen there oh okay you, yeah you, <laughs> you you could do that i don't know and then there's you know i mean i'm well you know if i could get a working gyrosphere that also would have been pretty awesome that's so probably the smartest move because <laughs> you could probably, probably I, just, I mean, you see that they can, it can survive in water. Yes. Uh, and they're pretty durable. So I, I think, and as long as you just sort of keep moving. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I think you'd be okay. Well, Steve, this has been such a great chat. I'm, I'm so glad I got to pick your brain uh, about both of these books. Um, the last question I want to ask, cause I mentioned earlier that I was deprived of summer camp growing up but did um did you go to summer camp or did you have any fun didn't end did you have any fun summer camp stories um i went to day camp because i never did sleepaway camp when i was a kid so i did do summer camp like day camp stuff for a few years when i was growing up in rhode island and i don't have any good stories from that <laughs> because i don't I mean, well, but, but I think that's the thing. I think maybe you and I both, both are in this similar place where it's like, yeah, day camp, you don't have day camp. Isn't where real fun is had, you know, day camp. It's like you go and you maybe make some crafts. I, I went to a science day camps. And so I got to like, you know, make a battery circuit thing. Like we, we went to the summer camp that Ben probably should have gone to. Oh yes. Without a doubt. I think that's probably why I related so well to him too. And, um, and I also, just to paraphrase you, I, I'm writing this one down too, which is that kids don't go to day camp to have fun. It isn't where, <laughs> it isn't where fun is had. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's the summer camp where you are away from your parents. Like that's how, that's how Camp Cretaceous happens, you know? Yeah. Oh, completely. I mean, day camp is really kind of like, you know, it's the counselor sitting around going like, look, we all know why you're here. Okay. <laughs> but yes, I, 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 day camp now, I wish I had a really, really good summer camp. So I could make one up for you, but that feels disingenuous. So I won't <laughs> no, do that. No, no, I. I, I think, no, I think that perfectly makes sense. And again, I, I relate a lot. Yeah. Day camp was, was just to, was just glorified babysitting where, yeah, again, overnight camp, a place like Camp Cretaceous, that's where you, you know, that's where you run into dinosaurs. Yes, that's exactly it. That's where you get, you know, you get scared, you know, out of your wits and you basically never sleep again. And yeah. Which is, which actually brings us full circle because I feel like that's what I'm doing right now. <laughs> I know. Are we, yeah. Are we at an eternal summer camp right now? But, oh, in like, but interesting. In the, the sort of like, I don't know. There's something there. There's potentially something there. <laughs> Absolutely. Can dinosaurs be far behind? Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, look, 2020 has, has brought a lot our way. Maybe dinosaurs are next. Oh, <laughs> this is 
You know what, though? I don't think I would be remotely surprised if that were to happen. <laughs> but Steve, this has been so incredible. Thank you again so much for your chat. Do you have any, is there any like social media you want to shout out or other books or other things that we should uh, check out? Oh, thank you. Um, two things. One, I just realized I was really, really remiss. I should mention that um, editor I worked with on The Reader was Rachel Shablowski, and she was amazing. So if Rachel's listening, I don't want her to think that I wasn't thinking about her. <laughs> um, she's amazing. And yes, I mean, I, I you can go to my Amazon uh, author page. I have one of those and you can kind of see all the different books I do. Um, and I also have a humor website, which is for an older kid, like a teenager and up. And that's called that's believable.com. And it's an assortment of made up facts. Oh, fun. Yes. That's awesome. I'll have to check that out. Yes. It's full of how to's and I don't know how many, uh, dinosaur how to's I have there. I probably have a couple, but yes, it's all ridiculous and completely factless. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Um, thank you again so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me on. This has been a blast and, uh, continue success with the podcast. This has been fun. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Stephen. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.